Actually, I, I, you know, I have actually two sermons I've sort of merged together here. So you'll find out as I'm talking on uh, sharing Romans 1.25 is the major thought. But there's some other things because of the times in which we live, I'd like to sort of interject. And I try to sort of mix them together. I don't know if it mixes together, but I'm just going to throw them out there anyway. You, you have discernment. You know how to handle these things. I'm quite sure. So we're going to be looking here then uh, into Romans chapter 1, verse 25. And some interesting things about this, this particular place in Scripture. Uh, it is comprised, Romans 1.25 is comprised of 24 English words coming from 23 Greek words. So I thought that was interesting. Verse 25, 24 English words, 23 Greek words. Just a little observation there. You might think interesting. Our, our discussion today is really going to be pretty negative. Uh, when I preach, when I speak, I like to keep things positive. But there are times you can't make things positive, and you don't want to. If the text is not going to be positive, I don't want to put a positive spin on it. Which reminds me of something I makes me think of this. happened many, many years ago. Uh, actually, I was a student at Bible College, and we had Chuck Swindoll. I'm sure you've ever heard Chuck Swindoll on the radio come, and he was one of our speakers. And he said something that really did not sit well with me. And I, I remember to this day, can you imagine, this is way, what, what are we talking about, 30 years ago? And this still sticks clear in my mind. And you know what? I can't remember what he preached on, but I remember him making this statement. And he said that when he preaches, he always, he always wanted to make it positive, always wanted to bring forth a positive message. I'm thinking, well, that's good. I mean, we all want positivity. But then I thought, wait a minute, but what, what, if, the, what if the text is negative? You know, are you going to re- reroute the words and things to have a positive statement? And that always sit, didn't sit well with me all these years. And certainly we want to be as positive as you can, but you don't want to twist the scripture. You don't want to leave something out that's, that's there. Uh, so anyway, th- th- I say that by introduction of the words I'm going to say today are pretty, pretty negative, actually, but I have to give it. It's God's word. You don't want my opinion. We want what God's word has. And quite frankly, if you look in... Romans 1.25 and, and the surrounding verses, it's all pretty negative information, but it's something you should know. It's something we can learn from. So that's why I'm going to present it to you because you probably realize by now I just go verse by verse. And so last time I was here, he did verse 24. <laughs> now uh, today, 25 and 26 and so forth. Uh, what else can we say about this? Well, you know, we're going to be looking at negative things, but you know the Bible is a book of truth. That's what this is. It's not to make you happy. It's not really not to make you feel good. It's to give you truth. And then how we handle it, and that's going to decide how we behave and how we're going to look at God's word. Now, we're looking at our context. Before I get into verse 25, I want to talk about the context very briefly. And then you'll see my approach here. Our context, we know this. Romans 1.18 is about the suppressing of God's truth. God gave his truth but it was suppressed. Secondly, in Romans 1, 19 to 20, we see the ignoring of God's revelation. The revelation was there, it was ignored. And then thirdly, we see the perverting of God's glory. And you see this in Romans 1, 21 to 23. 
So this is more the general context of what we're going to address today. Today we are going to be concerned only with the third part that I just gave you, perverting God's glory. And because we see this is what the pagan does, sometimes this is what the the church does. We pervert the glory of God. So this is what we want to analyze. So let me have a prayer before we get into this, that God will use this to be a blessing to you. So let us pray together. Our Father, we ask now that your word will come, come forth in, in truth and in accuracy. Give me, Lord, get me out of the way, and may the Spirit of God make it such that I can give forth God's truth, not being mixed with opinion and feelings, but just give truth. And then I pray for the congregation that you will open up their heart, their understanding, to receive the word given, and then apply it wherever it is applicable to use it. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. You know as well as, well, you know, and I know, I ought not be here. I'm here because of grace upon grace upon mercy. And I thank you for it. Help me now to do a good job for, the, for your name, for the good of this church. Guide us, Lord. Bless us, we ask, from this word given. And I ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, so I'm looking here in verse number 25, Romans 1, 25. And who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So we're going to begin with today an accusation. The accusation is the, the, the changing of God's word into a lie. Now, that's, quite a sta- that's a great statement, isn't it? I and mean, that's a powerful statement. That's a disturbing statement. Changing God's word into a lie. Now, we have in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of joint and marrow, and is a discerner in the thoughts and intents of the heart. I skipped a couple words in there. But that's the nature of God's word. And to twist it, to make it say something that doesn't, or to leave things out, Obviously, if you're behind the pulpit, you don't want to do that. That's a very dangerous thing to do. So we want to analyze this by the grace of God with such accuracy. We're looking here in verse 24. Who is this speaking about? What is verse 24 speaking about? You have to go back to verse number 18 to discover that this verse is about the unrighteous and the unbelievers. So our topic today is about the unbelieving world. It's not about the church. It's not about you or me in a way. It's about the world in which we live, the unbelieving world. We, have, we see here a charge leveled against the unrighteous and the unbelievers. And the charge is they distorted and obliterated God's glory. This is what the unbelieving world does. They may even, they may even have a church service or whatever, but they're not saved. They're not born again. So they distort and obliterate God's glory. They tamper with God's holy word. They pervert the sacred text and twist it into a lie. And they herald misinformation about God. So this is not a good group. You don't want to be here. But this is is the people with which you live. You rub shoulders with every day. 
But also we're taking this, this, there's two applications here. One in Paul's day, when all these things were taking place historically to the church, but we know these things happen today as well. That's why God's word, it's timeless. It's about the history, but it's also appropriate for the days in which we live as well. So what I want to do today is take a word out of, um, or a thought out of Jude. In Sunday school, we did Jude. And you know the most famous verse in Jude is verse 3. And there it says, Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And in a way, that's what I'm hoping to do today. Contend for the faith. Stand up for it. Defend it. Present it and defend it. And you'll see why in a minute why I'm saying that. In verse number 25, they knew God but glorified him not as God. Now we're going to have a list. Going down several verses, we're going to have a list of offenses committed by mankind. Number one, you see in verse, uh, in verse 21, they knew God but glorified him not as God. This is, this is the accusation against the unbelieving world and even could be even the religious world. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God. In other words, they're glorifying men. This happens in our, in our churches today. This happens often in our intellects today. They don't give God the glory. They give themselves the glory. They give science the glory, never God. Uh, you see the witness of the universe, but they refuse to give God the glory. And you know, all you have to do is look at the universe, and you have plenty of reason to give God glory. Do you ever think about this? Think about the two instruments, a microscope and a telescope. They, give, they, they preach great sermons about God and his power. You take a telescope and look out there in space, and you see all the magnificent planets and stars, and as far as our telescopes go, there's space. Where does this thing end? Does it end? But then you think, well, it has to end. Does it end? <laughs> We're talking about eternity. And, and so this is a thing we see here. And yet you can take a microscope and look at that. And look at this table right here. And we know it's full of holes. <laughs> the microscope tells us this. So we're looking at God's creation. But you know what? The unbeliever doesn't give God glory for his mighty creation. They mock God. And that's what that is saying. The second thing we see in this text, they were not thankful. You see that in verse 21. Again, here's the unbeliever. Now we know that he's, he's not thankful. Not, obviously not thankful to God. Now who can recite to me 1 Thessalonians 5.18? For there it says what? Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Give thanks in all things. Obviously, we give thanks when things progress the way we want them to. (laughs) But are we able to give thanks when you're not getting your way? Can you still say, thank you, Lord? I don't like it, I don't want it, but thank you because I know it's for my good. That's the second thing we see here. They were not thankful. This is the, 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 the charge against these people that Paul has in mind as he's writing in Romans chapter 1. They were not thankful. Number, th- number three, they became vain in their imaginations. And that word vain comes from the word meteo, and it means to be empty or foolish. In their imagination, in their brain. You see, they're empty and they're foolish and foolish thinking. And that word vain is very interesting. Do you know that word vain you see in the Bible? 
It's used 112 times. So this is a concept, a thought that you see often in Scripture. Vain, and then you see the word vanity. Vanity is in the Scripture 68 times. For a total of 180 times, this concept of being vain, being without knowledge, being without understanding. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5 tells us this, about speaking about Israel. It says that Israel has gone far from me and has walked after vanity. So even Israel, we know their problem, vain, vanity. And you know what? That's something that can happen to you and me. We can become vain and puffed up and really more all about ourselves than we are about the Lord. You've got to guard against that. That's something I think we can all, we all have to guard against this thing of vanity. The fourth accusation we see here against the unrighteous and the unbeliever, the fourth one is that they are foolish, their foolish heart was darkened. Think about that, a darkened heart. That is a dangerous situation when the heart is darkened. That word darkened comes from, from the word scotizo, and it means to be deprived of light, without light. What if we're here tonight and, or today, but there's no lights on and, and it's dark outside? You walk around, you're going to stumble and fall. That's what we see here. Their heart was darkened. Ephesians 4.18 has the phrase, having their understanding darkened. You know, we took numerous, not numerous, but several missionary journeys to the Caribbean islands. And we'll go in and visit some of the native people there at the Caribbean. And you know, they're, they're living in darkness. I mean, <laughs> darkness. And, um, but that's, that's where you want to give forth God's word. And when they hear the word of God, and they can sense, and the spirit of God convicts them. It's a beautiful thing <laughs> to see him come to the Lord. How beautiful is this? Moving on, we see that uh, the fifth accusation against the unrighteous and the unbeliever, they profess themselves to be wise. And so many of us are good. We think we're wise. I went to school. I'm educated. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty smart around here. Boy, you know, when you think that way, you're on the way down. And that was an offense here. The sixth one, they became fools. They thought they were wise, but the truth is they became fools. And we all know Psalm, <clears throat> Psalm 14.1, what the, what the fool says. He says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Do you ever do that? You witness to people? And oh, I don't believe in God. I don't, blah, 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 blah. And you know what comes to my mind? The fool says in his heart, <clears throat> there is no God. And that's what I think when that person tells me that. Number seven, we know that the unrighteous and the unbelievers, which is the subject of this whole setting here, they reduce the glory of God into a mere image. The glory of God. They look at it as an image, and a specific image. An image of man, birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Is what the depraved mind does with the word of God. And so the accusation we find here, they transform the truth of God into a lie. Again, who does this? The unbelieving world, the unrighteous. Transforming the truth of God into a lie. Now, if you do this over years and years and years and years, which I think is the point here, this thing has been done over and over and over, what happens? The establishment of false world religions. If you have generation after generation after generation doing these things, what's going to occur? People will begin to invent their own religion. And that's why you have, I, I taught world religion for a number of years, and that's why you have numerous religions around the world. 
And as many as there are different kinds of people in the world, you have that many different kinds of religions. And so uh, this is how these things happen over the years. And so over the years of these things taking place, not only do you have the establishment of pagan religions, when that kind of mentality gets in within Christianity, you have the establishment of liberal churches, <clears throat> and then you have education <clears throat> infected with atheism. The accusation, they transform the truth of God into a lie. Don't, don't forget that, that little statement. They transform the truth of God, God's truth. They didn't read it and accept it and believe it. They transformed it. They changed it. And you know when I say that? You know what I think about? <clears throat> a lot of our, or at least some, of our modern translations of God's word. They're doing that. They're changing this. I cannot... I have not forgot, I still remember, many, many years ago when I began to grow in my faith and knowledge of Christ, I did that when I was in college, in a hostile environment to Christianity, is when I began to grow in my faith and knowledge of Christ. Anyway, so it comes this day, I was going to, uh, to practice, to, to football practice, and the equipment, and you have to go before the equipment manager every day to get your equipment for that day. So I, you know, I, hi, hi, Dusty, uh, can I have my equipment? And, and they had to know this guy. He was sort of difficult to work with. And, and, he, and he says, here, Britain, I got something for you. And so instead of giving me my equipment, he, he gives me this book. Here, I got this for you. And it was a copy of Good News for Modern Man. I think, are you familiar with that? This is back, this is back in the 60s. You may not even know what it is. But it's a copy of the Bible. It's a modern, I guess it's a translit, transliteration of the Bible in more modern English. Here, take that. Right? You, know, you should like, because I was, I was president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the time, so he singles me out. Here, take that. <clears throat> and I look through it, and I, oh, thanks, Dusty, I appreciate this. I thought he was trying to do me a favor. But then I began to read it. I thought, wait, gravy, this thing, is, this twist scripture, it changes so many things. And so, um, uh, yeah. oh, yes, my dear. Oh, thank you very much. You thought I needed one of these. Okay. Thank you, my dear. She had good care of me. That's good, huh? Thank you, dear. Now then, okay, so these things are taking place, and um, so we're looking at this here in this text here, and we're going to say this. Transforming the truth of God into a lie gives forth tragic circumstances, especially in the area of worship. Now, can you imagine this is what happens in a lot of our modern churches? They have a church service. They come together, but they change God's word. And they say all kinds of things about it. So these things are still taking, even though this is written years ago, things are taking place today. And many times worship is based upon error, based upon uh, human speculation, based upon wishful thinking. And you know this, that when worship is altered, God's truth is overwhelmed and neutralized with religious propaganda. That's why when you come to church, I'm hoping you always bring your Bible and whoever speaks behind this pulpit, make sure they're preaching from God's word and taking their thoughts from the context because now it's been said. You can prove anything from the Bible. That's almost true if you take things out of the context because in your Bible you have what? 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, 788,280 words in your King James Bible. So if you're shifty, you can as they say, prove anything from the Bible. But if you take it in its context, verse by verse, analyze it, then it only has one message, of course, and so we know these things too. 
But, but if we're not taking God's word in context, we have begin, our theology will then become based upon tradition and feeling, and in time, false religions emerge. And when a false religion emerges, what occurs? Culture, that culture is destroyed. And I'm going to give you some examples of this. Three or four examples of great cultures who did profound things and they were reduced to nothing. I'm going to show you why and how this happened. For example, the great Inca Empire of South America came, prospered, died. The Persian Empire that was founded by Cyrus around 1550 BC was established, prospered, and died. The Greek Empire, we all know about the Greeks. Our Bible, our New Testament is written in, in Greek. Established, prosper, and died. Think of Rome. Established, prosper, and died. The Arab Empire, known as the Caliphate, prospered. It was a big, powerful empire. We probably don't know all that much about it. Big, powerful empire, prospered, it died. The Mongol Empire, same thing. Grew up powerful, waging all kind of power and wealth. Where is it today? It's gone. Question is, what caused all this? Why do these empires come and go? And if you study this, there's a common thread in all of these empires. And you want to know what that is? It's something that's in the news every day. What occurred to those cultures was the practice and acceptance of homosexuality. When a culture receives homosexuality as a, way, as a legitimate way of life, almost every time that culture disappears. Think of America when I say this. Now, of course, there's another issue now talking. We, when we came here a couple... Months ago, this was not even an issue. Now there's something new on this horizon, if you talk about these kinds of things, and that is the transgender situation. How you can take, how, who would want to take a boy and turn him into a girl, or vice versa? I don't know about you, but I have seen recently, whether in a bus or what, I'm seeing a person, I'm thinking, is that a a man or a woman? You you can't tell. You probably have come across them from time to time. And this is becoming more and more popular in the great United States of America. And uh, what's happening here is actually chilling, and I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's going to bring us down. I'm telling you, it's going to bring us down. Think for just a moment of the events that have happened in America. Just say the last year. Just the last year. Now, I'm old enough to think of history and, you know, living in the 50s, 60s, and so forth, and see what's happening now. I'm telling you, America, and you younger people may not realize this, but you're going down. And going down pretty quick. Think for just a moment of the cowardly Afghanistan abandonment, leaving billions of dollars of weapons in the hands of the enemy. What moron would do that? I'm serious. Who would do this? And that's exactly what happened. But I've got something worse. I'll tell you something worse that's happening. What about the unimaginable open borders debacle? 
Those two things alone, now speaking for myself, not you, not the church, Don Britton, to me, these actions are treasonous. I think it's treason. That's just me, not you, and I'm not saying dogmatically it is, but I'm saying this is how I think. That's all I'm saying. How could you open up the borders and allow anybody to go through here with any registration? It defies, and I'll tell you, we're going to be an empire lost. And it may be in years to come, we're going to meet each other. Hey, remember how we used to come to Church of Pilgrim and enjoy ourselves and preach? And now it's all shut down. We can't have meetings. And that's coming unless something occurs. That's on its way. What about the refusal of our great governmental leaders to drill for oil when we are in desperate need of it and yet won't drill for it? We can get it. We, got the, we have the plan. We have the oil. We have the equipment and won't do it. I mean, it could go on and on here. What if, here's the last one. I'll stop because this, this, I get very frustrated and I want to throw something. <laughs> I don't want to throw it at you. But what about the ridiculous defunding of our police? Could you think of anything more dumb than that? And here we have these great officials. We pay them a fortune. And they stand by and do this kind of thing. So... You know what's happening here? And that is, we're, we're, we're being reduced, I think, Don Britton's opinion, that we are being reduced intentionally to drive us into a socialistic state. That's the desire of these, for whatever reason, these people we elect want to put us in that place because, see, with a socialistic state, you'll lose your property and you'll lose your income, but they'll be wealthy and profitable and powerful is what's headed, unless there's some kind of a change. That's what we're looking for. Our hope, though, now that's the bad news, but the good news is this. This is our hope. We always have hope as long as we have the word of God and we're following God's holy word. If we have our Bibles and examine these issues from the standpoint of the Bible, then you'll have some confidence. You won't be scared. You won't be angry. I get angry. See, I've got to keep my focus in this because I get very angry. But then I think Psalm 139, O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my down sitting, my uprising. You understand my thoughts so far off. You accomplish my path, my lying down, acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have set me behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And on and on and on. If you have God's word in your heart, it can sort of give us balance and give us hope. If we don't, <laughs> then Lord help you. But that's where we are today. If we look at these issues from the word of God, I think we can say this. The enemy of our souls and the enemy of the Christian faith is on the march right here even in great United States of America. And you might be saying, Don, why are you saying this? I'm not going to tell you why, but I'm going to give you a scripture reference and you can look up now or later. And that reference is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. That's why I'm speaking like this today. Consult your Bible a bit later from now. But we know this. The enemy of our souls has a strategy. And because we are, I feel, a Christian nation, there's a special strategy against America. And you know where that strategy is? It's in the Bible. It's plain. It's very plain. If you want to say it, it's found in Genesis chapter 3. And you hear the words 
of our enemy. Did God really say, speaking to Adam and Eve, God, in verse 1, did God really say you should not eat of the tree of the garden? Did God really say this? Can you imagine how persuasive he was about this? Are you, are you kidding? God would make this beautiful tree and you can't eat? Come on, that, was, that can't happen. All he does is plant doubts. And I'm wondering, as I'm saying, has he ever planted a doubt in your mind? We should be confident and have hope and optimism. You got a doubt. And you're losing your joy and you're losing your perspective. Why? Because he plants doubts in our mind. That's why you have to gird up the loins of your mind with God's word. But we go on and we see these things taking place. We have a doubt in our mind. And then, and then what, the, what else does he say in this scenario? Surely, in verse 4, surely you're not going to die. You're going to eat this fruit and you're going to die. Come on. That's not going to happen. And then he follows that up with this statement in verse 5. God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened. He didn't want you having any... You're going to be able to see how things really are. You don't have to walk by faith. You can see with your eyes. I can just hear him making this argument. And we see his strategy is to reduce what God clearly said, reduce it or confuse it. And we know that if he cannot, if the devil cannot distract or destroy truth... He will contaminate the truth to create doubt, hesitation, timidity within the church. And sometimes you'll see that's why the church is in retreat. We say we should be aggressive. Aggressive with the word of God out there. Aggressive in helping the poor. Aggressive in helping the people hurt in the hospital. Aggressive in our good works for the Lord. But sometimes we're in retreat. We're hiding, you know, looking out the window instead of being out there in the battle. And you know that when that happens, cults and false religions grow and cultures crumble, as we've talked about before. And the scripture gives us a warning, I think, is appropriate at this time. I'm looking here in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It just takes a little bit of wrong information here, a little fear here, a little this or that. And you know what? The whole lump is ruined. Or Proverbs 24, 33. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come. And when we as Christians are sort of pulled back and we're not with the word of God, I was going to use a different word, but it may not be appropriate. So we're, you know, we're, we're not using the word of God as we ought. Knowing that man is religious by nature, Satan does not stamp out religions. Did you know that? Well, we can't, well, we got plenty of religions here. That's the problem. You see, Satan, instead of resisting religion, he encourages it. Sure. The more religions, the more confusion. Let the Christian, let, let, we have all these different churches and doctrines. Let the Christians spend an afternoon and argue, or argue over inspiration, baptism, heaven, hell, denominations, marriage, divorce, Bible doctrine, Sabbath day, Jews, Gentiles, homosexuality, separation of church and state, church history, and on and on and on. Spend your time doing that. Instead of being out there, being on our knees, dedicating ourselves to the Lord, sharing Christ, Instead of doing, and sending out missionaries, instead of doing that, we're arguing about these trivial little things. And we miss out on the big picture. And the result, there's distraction from winning souls, from sound doctrine, and helping out the poor. And the result, 
So what did the unrighteous and the unbelievers, what did they serve? They served, in our text here, getting back to our text here, they served the, the creature more than the creator. In other words, they moved from God and placed upon the creature. Instead of being in God's word, instead of memorizing his scripture and being, what is, what is the famous things that churches do today? They focus upon the churches. Now, I'm talking about church in general. They tend to focus upon success, prosperity, power, popularity, and wanting to mix with everybody instead of standing in the way and giving forth God's word. In this apostate environment, the creature receives the honor and worship instead of the creator. And finally, the last phrase we have in this text, I need to finish up here. The last phrase we have here, who is blessed forever, amen. We find out historically that it was not uncommon to add a doxology or an ascription of praise to God when his name is mentioned. And you see it here, you see it in Galatians chapter 1 and in several places of the scripture. Simply just a way of breaking through and making sure God gets his glory. And no matter what doctrine you're talking about, have time to make sure God gets his right place and his, and his, his praise and glory. And that, that's the thinking of that. So through it all, we're going to find that God will receive eternal praise and glory. Today, we understand and acknowledge there is a battle. We're in a battle. You're in a battle here. Although we are in great United States of America, there is a great spiritual battle taking place. But the good news is this. You know, of course, we do have you know, our, our prophetical books. So we do know how the battle will end. We're in the battle, though. Right now, we're in it. And we do know this. The suppressing of God's truth, which is what we started out with today, the suppressing of God's truth will be held up will be stopped, will be discontinued. The ignoring of God's revelation will give way to evangelism eventually. And the perverting of God's glory will be overwhelmed by the church triumphant. The 25 words of this text that we looked at today, talking about the changing of God's word, the worshiping, uh, worshiping various objects and stealing God's glory, All of this has an antidote. There is a successful response to it. What is that antidote? Number one, holy living. You and me, regardless of what the world does, we will live for the Lord. Regardless of what that costs, we'll live for the Lord. Number two, bold witnessing for Jesus Christ. Share Christ as we go. And number three, biblical ecclesiastical involvement and loyalty to God's word. And how, how does this happen? How do we do this? I'll finish make this my last verse here today. How is this to be done? Think of the verse, James 1.22, and I'm sure many of you have it memorized. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That is the key to the world as far as we're concerned as Christians. Do the word. You say, well, I can't because blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I'm fearful. I do this, or I messed up, or blah, blah, blah. Okay, we know this. 
We're all, listen, we're all, we're all sinners here together, and God has forgiven us. If you have issues in your life, you want to go to the Lord and pray, confess your sin unto the Lord, and then get up off your knees and follow him with boldness and optimism and hope. That's what, that's what he calls us to do. And think about the people right here in the church right here. You know, as we be determined to, to live for Jesus, first of all, personally, live for the Lord Jesus. Secondly, get his word out. Come together on prayer meeting night. Now, I don't, I don't know what your prayer meetings are like, but you know what? My guess is it's not like this. But wouldn't that be wonderful if, we, if you had a prayer meeting here? And this is what we have for a prayer meeting. You know what? Things would begin to change for the good. There would be some changes taking place for good in your personal life, in your church life. So let me just throw this in. I haven't planned on saying this, but you know what? If you do not attend church prayer meeting, change your mind and do it. But I got this I have to do. I got to do that. You know what? Stop all that baby stuff. Put the stuff apart. Set all things apart and get to the church and pray with the brothers and sisters because you know what? You need prayer. Every one of us needs prayer. We need support. But if the church prayer meeting comes together and three people are here and many of the congregations you're busy, not good. So I want to challenge you. It's not in here. I'm just going on spontaneous here. But I want to challenge you. Change your schedule so you can be here when you have a prayer meeting. And pray for one another. I'm sure you all need prayer. I need prayer. <laughs> Come here and pray for me. I need it. Pray for my dear wife, Vicki. We need all the prayer we can get. But do that. I'm giving you a challenge. Change your schedule so that on the Wednesday, you're here. And make it a time of encouraging, building one another up, spreading out the community. Be a fun thing to watch. And great to be involved in something like this. Let's pray. I'm going too long. Let's pray. Father. We want to say thank you for the Pilgrim Presbyterian Church, the Pilgrim Bible Presbyterian Church, Lord. We thank you for it. We know that the enemy of our souls would like to shut it down, dissolve it, and build a hotel here. But here you have this church fixed. Wonderful leadership, wonderful people here, right here in this congregation, right here. We pray that you will encourage them not only to remain where they are in their spiritual growth, but to progress. And that might mean fighting with the world all the more, maybe fighting with my own personal sin, fighting with the devil himself. But help us to roll up our sleeves and get into the battle and be bold living for Jesus, confessing our own sins to you, repenting of our sins, and following you. We know, Lord, you tell us, what is it, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. What a glorious thing that is. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've had to claim that and do. That's why I'm here today, because I know the Lord forgives me and now empowers us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for each person here that we can understand this, being filled by, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, so as to go out and do great things for God. So it's to simply be faithful to the truth that we know. And Lord, I don't know what's in this congregation. I have no idea what's in the congregation. I pray you'll give them love one for another. If there's an issue in the church, we pray that you'll dissolve it and bring the people together. Give them boldness. We pray your protection on the church. 
that they can go forth and dominate in this community for your glory and be with you know, the brother or sister here today who maybe out of pure obedience came to worship service but really didn't feel like it. <laughs> Bless that person, Lord, and draw them close to you. I thank you for my dear wife. Lord, her, her, she stands by me through so many things, and I thank you for her. Bless her, Lord, and use me to be a blessing to her. I thank you for our children, Donnie, Troy, Bridget, and Lance, and their, and their families. We call down your blessing on them, Lord. I thank you so much for them. Bless their lives. And the people here, our friends right here, Tim and Lisa and their, and their leadership, and many others, Lord. We ask for your blessing on them as they would give leadership. And thank you for letting us be here today. We call down your blessing here, and I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.